Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. Listeners will remember last week's discussion with some of the young activists who were involved in the recent climate strike protests. Today, we're continuing on this theme. We could be on the verge of a global movement against climate change. But what type of movement do we need? What sort of politics and programme should it have? Who should lead it? Over to Sarah Rack. Okay, I'm here today with Chris Boff, who is a member of the Socialist Party and also the PCS Assistant General Secretary, speaking to us today in a personal capacity. And Chris really has been at the forefront of um, developing in both the UK and globally uh, a trade union and class-based approach to climate change. And that's what we're going to be discussing today, following on from last week's podcast episode where we spoke to some of the campaigners who were involved in the um, the protests around the youth strike uh, that's happened recently and that's also coming up uh, another one. Um, and we want to discuss today uh, some of the political issues around climate change. So, hi Chris. Hi. <laughs> um, so to start off with, why do you think that climate change is something that socialists should care about at all and should strive to develop a socialist program around? Well I think the first and obvious point to make is that there's not much dispute about the science now. There's an overwhelming scientific consensus about Mm. the contribution of humanity or should I be more precise the impact of the industrial revolution for the last 300 odd years upon the earth's climate and uh, And it poses, I think, most rational people, unfortunately that doesn't extend to the White House, uh, but most rational people on this planet would now accept uh, both the contribution that humanity have made to climate change, but also the serious threat that it poses to the very existence of the the planet. And you see it around issues of biodiversity, you see the competing uh, uh, battles, contests over access to water and I think by any general uh, assessment that we are now reaching uh, a perilous point, uh, what many scientists describe as a tipping point Uh, and if we don't act decisively then we are seriously posing a risk to the very existence of the the planet. now, we're seeing various battles over resources. You see the increasing raging arguments over uh, the attempts to apply ever more extreme extractive methods to get coal or gas or oil out of the, uh, out of the ground. And I think even the global powers, even the economic elites in the world, mm-hmm. express tentatively in the, many of the international agreements, recognise the risk but also recognise, for example, that it's going to provoke a even greater waves of, uh, of migration, uh, uh, both within and across um, national borders. And I'd say the other reason why it's of particular uh, significance for socialists, I mean, obviously this is of significance for everybody who inhabits planet Earth, but from a socialist uh, uh, perspective, it's important to recognise that the impact of climate change, manifesting itself in often extreme weather conditions, forest raging forest fires, the floods that we see across the, the, the world, of course, 
it is the working classes that bear the brunt of this. And it will be the working class in the UK and internationally, if we don't take the necessary action, who will be the first to suffer as a result of um, uh, as a climate change. And, and you look up to specific examples would be Hurricane Katrina uh, and Hurricane Sandy, where as a result of the, the massive floods exposing, as it did, the terrible withering of public resource and emergency services in the United States, again as a conscious government uh, uh, policy decision, but it's largely poor uh, Afro-American working class communities that are hit hardest. And But you did, despite that, I suppose, you mentioned there that people um, from all ends of the political spectrum display some interest, some concern <coughs> over this issue. It was one of the things mentioned on last week's podcast that one of the debates um, people were finding uh, amongst the those taking part in the youth strikes was, is this a political issue? And some people kind of putting forward the idea that climate change is an issue that transcends politics, really. So why do we as socialists not agree with that statement? Well, I, I think for a number of reasons. First, as socialists, we would take the, the view that all human activity is essentially political and... Uh, you know, the, the, the question of it's no accident of history that uh, the Industrial Revolution took place, that the energy sources it relied upon, coal, fossil fuel uh, industries, uh, that it's estimated since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution 1780 that about 90 companies in world history are responsible for two-thirds of greenhouse uh, emissions. So it is very much a question of the economic system under which we live, the laws under which it operates, and as socialists we would recognise that of course there is this intrinsic battle between wealth and power, between on the one hand capital and the other hand the interests of, uh, of, of workers. And uh, whilst it is sometimes portrayed as a apolitical issue that because of its impact potentially across all humanity and across the whole planet, that in some way that we should ignore the causes of the climate change. I would argue, and socialists I think would argue, that the sources of our economic crisis and the sources are from, of, the economic, of the environmental crisis are of a common source. And that that leads you to the conclusion that if we're serious about tackling climate change, then this reliance on market-based uh, solutions is a mistake. That it was the market, described by Stern, most famously, is the, in history the biggest market failure ever. And yet many of the governments continue to rely on market biomass, untested carbon capture, uh, a, a whole host of technical fixes that they would lead people to believe would be sufficient when in fact climate change now poses the very question of as the market is incapable and is in many ways an actual impediment to the, the, the pace and the scope of changes that we need to make to transition from effectively an economy reliant on energy sources from fossil fuels to a zero carbon economy, the market won't do it. And the fossil fuel companies who continue to dominate international markets, 
uh, I mean, I think about four out of the top ten companies in the world today, of course, are, are major investors in, in, in fossil fuels. So as socialists, we're not just talking about the need to transform society, to create a, uh, you know, to, to, to cater for the interests of the many and not the few, to coin a phrase, but we're now talking about a transformation, a social and economic transformation that's necessary to save the very planet itself. And you mentioned um, in your response to my first question, I think, um, about some of the international discussions between capitalist politicians that um, take place fairly regularly on this issue, actually. Um, And, you know, in particular uh, comes to mind is the ones that led to the Paris Agreement, for example. Have those discussions got us anywhere? Well... I mean, the the, the 2015 uh, climate agreement uh, at least recognised that climate change represents uh, an urgent and potentially uh, irreversible threat requiring deep reductions in global emissions if we're going to try and keep the Earth's average temperature below 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius. And for the first time, an international uh, agreement sort of reached a global consensus. So I would say in a world of alternative facts, that's a sort of step forward. Um, but the Paris Agreement was deeply flawed. It, uh, it's not binding uh, on governments. Major polluting industries like aviation and shipping are, not exclu- are, are, uh, are actually uh, not included. And, it, and most serious scientific opinion anticipates that the, the global temperature isn't going to keep between 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius. In fact, uh, you know, it could be, you know, three, four, even higher, four degrees higher uh, than uh, the the, the Paris Agreement has has indicated, which has potentially catastrophic uh, uh, impact. So I suppose what I'm saying is that uh, in one way it was a step forward in the sense that it represented a global uh, consensus, but there's no mechanism in place to enforce it. And one of the most, I think, chilling facts is that right from the point in the early 90s where governments first recognised the importance of meeting and discussing from an international perspective action around climate change, global emissions have actually increased. Mm. And it's interesting to note that in the what we call the neoliberal, uh, so-called free market deregulated capitalist model from the Reagan-Thatcher years onwards, that coincided with the most rapid increase in global um, emissions as the economic elites, particularly in the financial sector, gorged themselves over a 20-30-odd period, many capitalist companies recording record profit yields that coincided with one of the most rapid increases in the polluting greenhouse gases that we pump out into the world over that very same period. So, I suppose, if we were holding those international meetings, (laughs) what would we be putting forward? What type of measures is it that could make a real difference on this this issue? Well, I think that uh, PCS, as a trade union albeit in the public sector where we have members that are involved in regulation, 
We, amongst a growing number of unions, are saying that the trade union movement should bring pressure to bear and develop a common agenda that uh, uh, workplaces are responsible for about 60% of emissions and it follows logically that unions that build its strength from the workplace or should build their strength from the workplace up obviously have a major role in, uh, uh, in holding the employer to account. So it's a natural extension of many ways of its health and safety role where you're looking after the interests of the health and safety of the workers, but unions have also got a proud tradition of taking action around uh, opposing, you know, sort of environmental degradation. It's no coincidence that unions developed early and became often very strong in fossil fuel industries like coal, gas, etc. Uh, all of that highlights, I think, historically and as a reminder to the trade union movement about how central it needs to be in shaping an alternative. Now, I think there's, there's lots of practical things to do. I think one of the difficulties about the debate is that it's often presented as if it's a matter of lifestyle and that we're all held individually responsible for our own contributions. Of course, we, you know, we're, as responsible human beings, you, you, you know, we all should take account of the consequences of our actions. But what I'm saying here is that as socialists and trade unionists, it's collective action that's required. So it is about, from a UK and global perspective, it's about bringing energy back under public ownership of running it, not as a top-down bureaucratic model, but uh, energy run as a, a democratic form of public ownership that forms part of a plan as socialists would say, but not imposed. A plan that is very much the product of local democracy, of municipal socialism, of an integration of the production and the distribution of energy uh, sources. And the technology is there. People say, well, it's too complicated. The problem with renewables is you're too contingent on weather conditions. Whereas the technology the intermittency, as it's called, and often cited as an insurmountable problem, could easily be overcome with, if you look at the technology that's uh, available. So it does need to form part of a democratic plan, but fundamentally run on a democratic basis in the public interest. And I think that, that that's why PCS is involved in an organisation called Trade Unions for Energy Democracy, which is a sort of trade union socialist think tank that produces a lot of very important material, well worth reading, looking at these questions, often seemingly complex questions, but from a trade union and workers perspective. And it's why PCS was involved with a number of other unions and academics at, uh, in the climate jobs, the One Million Climate Jobs initiative, where whilst it doesn't have all the answers, and it is largely a series of radical reforms rather than pointing to the fundamental social and economic transformation that I as a socialist and I think socialists would, would, would advocate. Nevertheless, it showed by a number of fairly uh, radical reforms, it's entirely possible to create one million climate jobs in energy efic efficiency, the insulation of homes, the retrofitting of new uh, heating systems, insulation of public and private housing, particularly if we're going to move towards a mass 
house building programme, a clean integrated uh, transport system, and of course, as I've said, bringing energy back under public ownership and most fundamentally investment in the clean, renewable, alternative forms of energy. And if anybody really wanted a, a good example of the madness of what is happening in British society in respect of the market and climate change, I'd cite my old town Blackpool where uh, license was given to Quadrilla to, uh, uh, to produce shale gas, fracking as it's known, and uh, there continues to be protests that I and I would urge all trade unionists and socialists to support the direct action taking place uh, on the outskirts of Blackpool at Preston New Road. And here they are, ripping up the countryside, uh, or potentially, although there's the, the, the number of earthquakes has, has, mm. has actually uh, caused a significant halt on production and that the means of extracting. But my point is that instead of ripping up the countryside and putting the public uh, health at risk and uh, the risk of polluting the land, you've only got to look on the coast and see that the Fylde Coast and the Irish Sea uh, is rich in wind and wave power. And this is poses again, it's a choice. And that instead of fracking, there is huge social and economic potential in investing in renewables by investing in offshore wind technology, of, uh, of applying uh, the wave technology uh, that, that is already available, even, even if there's a case of, uh, of piloting some of the methods available. Nevertheless, that already poses a serious alternative, and, and, and that's why PCS has been working with the bakers and a number of other campaigners to develop the Climate Jobs Initiative more from a localised perspective to say that we don't need fracking, we don't want fracking because of all the risks associated, but we're talking about Blackpool and Fleetwood, some of the most deprived towns in the UK. Instead of relying on fracking and the inflated claims of additional jobs, you could invest through public investment in renewables. There is a completely alternative strategy that will assist the climate and address the growing social and economic problems in an area like Blackpool. And I think that gives a good, quite concrete example of, of, of what can be done. Definitely. And so I suppose my next question is, why is it not being done? You know, you listed a number of things there on um, alternative energies, where the technologies already exist, on transport, on construction, housing, all these different things that could be done relatively easily. So why are those measures unacceptable, really, to capitalist politicians? Well, there is a very good speech by uh, Sharma Savant in the context of the first global climate march that took place in 2015. And she shares a platform with Bernie Sanders and with Naomi Klein. And it's a very, it, it, it's still there, you can still see the speech, but she makes, I think, one of the most important points in answer to the question that you pose, that the reason is because of the domination of uh, international markets by fossil fuel companies, mm. that they have an interest in protecting their own companies, their own production, 
and the planet continuing to lie, rely on fossil fuel extraction. And they have no interest from an economic or commercial perspective in running down production and thereby risking the profits that these companies make. And it, and it poses sharply, and she poses sharply in her contribution that the market does not, will not, and does not have uh, any intention of acting at the pace or on the scale that's necessary if we're going to radically reduce greenhouse emissions and invest in the economic transition that's, uh, that, 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 that's needed. And it brings us back, if anything, it, it reinforces the need for a class perspective, for the working class to recognise that climate change and the labour movement to recognise that climate change is not some optional extra, but it needs to be a very important part of socialist conception of the type of transformation that we need in order to create the socialist world to which we aspire. And so, I mean, you've mentioned that you see the role of trade unions as being central in this. Um, you obviously you are a leading trade unionist yourself. And so what kind of role do you think that the unions can play in combating climate change? Well, it's, you can see the uh, contested arguments. Uh, the TUC, which as we know, holds its Congress annually, it's not renowned for the rigour of its debates or even holding debates often. But it's interesting that in the last two years, the two major debates at Congress have been around climate. Uh, in 2017, I think it's fair to say there was one of the most radical motions that was carried. It talked about public ownership of energy, it talked about uh, legislation to create workplace environmental reps, uh, it, it, it talked about supporting initiatives like climate jobs, it opposed the third runway because of the impact on uh, our greenhouse gases. Very important step forward that was, uh, interestingly, carried unanimously. The following year, there was a motion put forward by the GMB, seconded by Unison, but also supported by Unite and Prospect, which argued that energy policy should be determined exclusively by the unions that organise workers in the energy sector. Now, aside from defining in any rational and objective way what is a worker in the energy sector, does somebody providing the catering on an oil rig, mm. are they an energy worker, for example? So, so it's a very um, uh, difficult definition to apply, but they argued that they should be at the forefront of developing the energy policy. PCS, and, and I would say the majority of the smaller unions, strongly disagreed. The FBU, of course, uh, you know, from a UK perspective, as a result of having to intervene in extreme weather conditions, mm -hmm. the FBU, almost above any other union, has recognised the importance of the industrial work of a union is aligned to climate. Uh, and all of the smaller unions objected. We, we didn't have the numbers, but I think we won the debate. And uh, this, is, this is part and parcel of the debate and the battle that needs to take place in the trade union movement. We need to engage with all workers. We need to talk to workers in the gas industry and uh, you know all of the fossil fuel energy intensive industries, uh, because the real threat to their conditions of employment 
are not environmentalists calling on it for a transition, but are the bosses and the governments that have successfully and over successive years undermined their pay jobs and conditions, and it is market conditions that, that pose the real threat to the futures of workers in those sectors. You've only got to look at the scale of job loss in the oil industry in Aberdeen. That's down to variations, the fall in the price of oil and various other economic factors, not because of uh, environmentalists or people reminding the world that we've got to take uh, decisive action. So there's a broader struggle of all unions to be engaged and having a voice in shaping what is described as a just transition a term that gets bandied around, but it's been a bit of a... It's not been sufficiently defined, and the lack of definition has sometimes been exploited by those who have a vested interest in the status quo, and it's sometimes given it a, a, a more radical veneer than it actually has. And I think it's for the trade union movement, the workers in those sectors, and across all industries affected to some degree by climate change with the knowledge, the expertise, the union power and to use that collectively to argue for an alternative both in their own sectors but part of the sort of social and economic change that socialists I think would would, would advocate in, in, in contrast not just to climate change but the growing disparities in wealth and the, the sort of the scale of the global economic crisis that we're, we, we, we're faced with. And I suppose we're seeing at the moment, um, I think, an increased appetite in fighting for that type of change uh, and anger on um, climate change uh, and all the, the related issues. And I suppose I'm interested in your thoughts on some of these latest developments, the youth strikes um, uh, and so on. Do you think that this could be the, the beginning of the type of movement that we, we need to see? Well, I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there are moments in history aren't there where the young uh, arrive at a particular conclusion and ask themselves the question what sort of world have the older generations bestowed upon us and I think any young person that asks themselves that question is not going to be happy about the world that's been bestowed upon them and you apply from a working class perspective you can spend years acquiring qualifications, but what are the nature of employment opportunities? You can see in almost every index that the condition of young people and their prospects for the future are less than previous generations. And I think that attitude manifests itself magnificently. I mean, I think it's one of the most inspiring things that I've seen uh, for, for a long time. And I think it, it, you can already see how the uh, how it spread first of all I mean this is this is not just a UK perspective mm. it has its origins as we know in a number of other countries uh, right across the world uh, it, it, it's a, a growing influence it's attracting growing support from young people but what I also like about it is it then forces a proper debate so it forces the school authorities to respond well what view do we take of such a marvellous, noble piece of action. Are we going to try and deter it? We're going to fall into the camp of Theresa May, saying, you, you know, you're missing out on important lessons, you shouldn't be doing it. Or, or uh, as appears to be the case, the head teachers, I think it's quite significant that the head teachers took 
quite a very quite a supportive view, not perhaps expressed in every school, but I think the formal position of the the uh, head teachers union, and you, you're beginning to see now debates within the teaching unions and amongst teachers. There's the latest call is to say we that the whole question of climate change should be integrated into the curriculum mm. far more than it is. There should be a far more of an open discussion about the scale of the problem that that humanity is confronted with and the importance of people discussing what action is required. But we know that if 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 the world and improvements in the quality of life for the working class was simply dependent on someone having a good idea and somebody thinking that logic and reason should determine the outcome, of course it would make struggle far less of a struggle unless it's backed up by action and by young people coming out in this way. I think they're setting an example not just to other young workers in Britain, but I think they're giving an example to everybody in the UK about what is needed, not just for action on climate change, but to reverse the decline uh, and uh, the, of working class prospects and living standards that we've suffered for really, you know, for far too long. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Chris. Thanks very much. To join in building for the 15th March Global Youth Strikes for Climate, head to socialiststudents.org.uk. For lots of further reading and resources, including some of the ones Chris mentioned there, head to the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast and we want to hear from you send us your thoughts and ideas for future episodes as well as sound clips of campaigning activity you think could be included to socialism podcast at socialistparty.org.uk